Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Kesset. If you are new, my name is Danny, and I'm going to share with you guys today uh, how many people uh, feel like this is their last day of freedom before Snowmageddon comes? Oh, you guys going to be all right? Going to be all right? I hope you're going to be all right. I, uh, my wife and I, we were burnt so bad last year, uh, they even juked us because Clark shut down. I don't know if you remember that, but last year they were like, snow scare. And then Clark said, no church for you. And then no snow came. And then it came like three days later without any warning. So I don't know but I'm going to survive. I promise you that, people. I'm going to make it. So uh, I'm excited for you that you returned after last week. I had an interesting response last week as I introduced our first eight weeks of the new year in a series called Gasp. Uh, I had a lot of people who said, hey, listen, um, and by a lot, I mean four or five, which is a general consensus of groups of people. I know it is. I know a lot of you just send people in. You're like, go tell him what we all think. And I know that's how that works. But uh, I had some people go, hey, this inspiration thing seems kind of, you know, like, are you going to start quoting Harry Potter? Like, what's going on? Like, how, how far out are we going to go as a church? And, and I realized as a church, we talk about foundations, we talk about uh, cornerstone, we talk about solid stuff. And the idea of inspiration is a little fluid. It's a, it, it could be maybe a little vague. And so um, some folks said, hey, it's because we trust you that we're going to stick through this. And, I'm, and I'll take it. I'm, I'll cash in on that rent. No problem. Because I believe this is a really important piece of the Christian walk that a lot of us, especially church, Western church, has done a really poor job experiencing. We don't honor lots of times when people come to us with, with callings or with feelings or with, with, with inspirations. We're like, well, well, well hold on. Let's, let's, let's back down to reality. And inspiration, I think you're going to find out, is a, a form of reality for many people that, if used well, can bring all kinds of health momentum and movement in a life that otherwise feels sometimes very stuck. And so thank you. I'm excited for us that we get to engage in it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you kind of a, I guess, a backbone for the series. I'm actually going to give you the next seven weeks. They're, they're, they're kind of themes or topics. You can write those down, or you'll see them on the church app because all the notes from today's talk are on there. But I'm going to give you the next seven weeks, and then we're going to talk about the first one. And then at the end of the service today, I'm going to share something personal because part of today's talk is, is what it means to kind of awaken and be aware. And that takes some uh, stepping out. So the best way I know to do that is to, is to go first. So I'm just prepping you for those of you who don't like it all intimate and real. Uh, it might get a little today. Good? All right. You can't leave now because that would be embarrassing. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll spend some time. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this place, for this community, for what it is you are building here. We are in so many ways along for the ride, God. We are honored that, that you drive us, that you challenge us, that you convict us, that you remind us, that you discipline us, that you bless us, that you are in this thing called relationship with us. We are so... Um, willing today, Lord, to sit in your presence. We don't know what that means exactly, but we know you do, and because of that, we trust you, and we step forward into it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I use this uh, kind of 
slogan for the series, I want to continue to, to give you guys this, and it's this, that this is a teaching series about looking into and questioning the role inspiration plays within each of our lives. Last week, I closed the message with this challenge. I called it, Maybe You. I said, maybe you need to make some changes, especially in the new year. Maybe you need to make some changes in your marriage, in your vocation, in your relationships, in your spirituality. I believe that inspiration is the avenue by which many of these things can finally happen. Now, like doing anything uh, worthwhile, I need you to know that this isn't going to be easy, hence the backbone I'm about to give you. Pablo Picasso, the famous painter, was uh, well known for saying that inspiration does exist, but it must find you working. You're not just going to luck yourself into this. You're not just going to charisma yourself into this. You're not just going to outsmart yourself or insmart yourself into this. There's just really not much you can do you're going to see except for continue to work at it and continue to ask some hard questions and put yourself in some vulnerable spaces in order for inspiration to occur. To get there, we're going to need a process. This isn't just, uh, just every day talking about something flowery and hoping it hits hard. This is an actual process. And at Kesed, we teach something called EHS, or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It was mentioned in the video, and it's also on the other side of that giving card. This is the information on this class. For those of you who know, and that would be, by the way, what inspiration looks like, you know right now, just based on last week and what I've said so far, and the video you just watched, you're supposed to be a part of the class. I want to challenge you to sign up to put yourself in there, to take that chance, and to discover what it means to walk out your process of faith. One of the things inside this class we're going to use to, to kind of ride throughout the inspirational journey, and it's called the stages of faith. Okay, they're the stages of faith. This material is perhaps the best description of how a person spiritually develops, but I, I'm going to show you where inspiration plays an important role in this, and it also gives you something to ponder because you know what we're going to be talking about next week. These are the stages of faith within EHS that they describe, and uh, it starts off with what we're going to talk about today, which is a life-changing, and if you want to, you can underline it in your mind or in your books that you're writing in, awareness of God. That's what we're going to talk about today, what it means to become aware, what it means to actually have your eyes opened and realize there are things in your life that need to be different. From there, we're going to move to discipleship. That's next week. Then the active life. Then something called the wall. This is also known to those of us in the room that do have studied a little philosophy, the dark night of the soul. It's going to be epic. I can't wait. It's going to be so good. The dark night of the soul, the wall. Then from there, you move to a journey inward, dealing with your stuff. Then you move to a journey outward, and then you become someone that lives a life transformed into love. That's the seven weeks of the series, kind of topically, but we're going to unfold those. We're going to unpack those, and here's what you're going to discover. So I'm not giving away anything. I'm just, I'm just wanting you to, to be along and not surprised every week. What you're going to find is that every single one of these has its own unique challenge, and that the thing that most often breaks people from the, the first one to the next in the cycle is inspiration. Inspiration is what causes them to go, oh. It's like the story of the, the man who came back from war and everyone was telling him that he was angry and he was upset and he needed to get help. And suddenly his daughter dropped something in the sink and he responded in this really loud and big way. And she just sat there and looked at him. And once he had calmed down, she said, okay, but why are you screaming at me? And he was inspired from that moment to make a change in his life that developed into a program that still helps soldiers to this day. 
You have to be inspired in order to move along this process. But we're not just inspired to go out and be better people or, or, or do better work. We have to be inspired to develop as people, as humans. This is such a critical thing. And I'll also add, this is not just a great description of most people's spiritual journey, but also most people's emotional and interpersonal journey as well. Even if you're just here seeking and you're like, I don't know about this whole God thing. This alone will help you develop as a person. This is psychologically sound. Now, we may use different words, and I'll help with that. Because if you're like, discipleship, I don't know what that's about. I'm not going to be a Matthew or a Mark or whatever. Stop using your church lingo on me. That's fine. I'll give you another word. <laughs> these, are, these are real reflections of real conversations, by the way. So... Uh, <laughs> But, but, but I get it, right? So you're like, I'm on my journey with God. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I want to be a disciple yet. Great. This is still, through inspiration, going to help you develop emotionally, interpersonally. It means with people that you do life with. And also work on your inside life, work on your outside life. And I believe, through inspiration, overcome some stuff that, that I hope, in the end, you know that uh, needs to be dealt with. We're honest here. And we're fairly vulnerable and that's one of the things that uh, I think earmarks us as a, as a really special community. But it's also one of the things that most frustrates people who aren't used to that kind of relationship because it catches them off guard. So I'm doing better at better. I gave you a posture last week of easygoing, right? It's your spiritual posture. Just relax. Just chill out. Unclench those fists. Just unclench those fists. Roll those shoulders and get ready to get punched in the face. It's that easy. It's not that big a deal. It's, <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Just relax. And pucker up. That's all you got to do. Okay? So that's the idea. And uh, I want you to know, too, I've, I've been on this, and I'm still in this with you. This is part of my own emotional health journey. And uh, it's, it's, it's meant all the world to my family, to my children, and uh, to the people I love. And so uh, I'm excited that you're with me. I hope you survive the thing. But uh <laughs> I'm just getting tired of people saying I'm not warning them. So listen, you were warned. You're going to bleed, all right? Especially on that wall talk. <laughs> here's, here's the funniest part about this, this whole thing. The opening one is awakening, right? This is, this is the opening one. Uh, it is going to be this, this idea that you have to see, that you have to, that you have to recognize what it is you are needing to work on. As a matter of fact, I, I heard this quote somewhere, and I, it might have been from Good to Great. It may have been from another book, but it, I heard the quote somewhere so specifically that I, that I memorized it and have never forgotten it, and it's this. The most common weakness seen in failing leaders of any kind is the lack of an ability to recognize one's own weakness and so over-evaluate one's own strength and or contribution. This is a significant thing. And I'm not talking just leader at work or leader of organization. I'm talking about leader of children, leader of, uh, of, of, of relationships, leader of, of in a marriage. I'm talking about people overstating and underseeing just what it is and who they are. This is a difficult thing. So go back to the paradigm for me. Here's my question. Do you know where you're stuck? Now, some of you are probably like, I'm stuck here, I'm stuck here. Last service, some guy, very, very Eeyore-like, just yelled out, the wall. <laughs> that's all he yelled out. So I, that's it. So he knew right where he was. So, so that's good. But some of you don't. And let me just say this, and it's already highlighted, so I'm setting you up. If you don't see yourself stuck as anywhere, and you're like, no, I think I'm pretty good. 
then you are clearly lacking awareness and you're at step one. Okay? So, you, so that's perfect. Like if you're like, no, I think I'm good. Awesome. You know right where to start. If you know you've got some stuff in your life, but you just feel kind of stagnant, maybe you're here. If you're really active and serving, but you just don't really feel like you know how to deal with the inside stuff, then maybe you're here. If you're dealing with all the inside stuff, but you really don't know how to actually go out and put it to words or action, then maybe you're here. And in the end, if you're transformed into love, then frankly, you're just smiling because you know how painful this is going to be for everybody else. (laughs) It's going to be a great thing, but it's going to take a little bit of perseverance and a little bit of a a little bit of willingness to sit in the hard space. As I said, we're gonna start with the first one, life-changing awareness and will use of God. Awareness is pretty much, I think most of us would agree, at the beginning of most journeys. There needs to be a, a need to leave where you are. I like this quote, before you get where you need to go, you have to realize you aren't where you're supposed to be. If you aren't supposed to be somewhere, then it's easy to have a conversation with someone who says, hey, Don't you feel like you need to develop these skills? Or don't you feel like your marriage would be better if it was this? But if you don't live in a place where you even know things need to change in your life, then as I said, you're you're just before that first wheel. Because I'm here to tell you, there's not a person in the room who doesn't have stuff that can be healthier. Not a one. The biggest fear is when you get to a nice, even place like before the wall where your stuff isn't really affecting, you've done a good job of, of hiding it. And so you're not really growing, but you're not really uh, dying. You're just sort of mediocre somewhere in the middle. I think the Bible calls it lukewarm. You're not really hot or cold. You're just not really anything. And I'll be honest, you know whose fault that is? And a lot of it, it's the church's. It's the church's fault because church is a great place, uh, has been a great place to teach people how to hide their stuff. We've given them great words for it. How you doing? Struggling but I'm okay. Oh, well, I'm struggling. See you next week. (laughs) You didn't even ask what the struggle was. Hey, how can I help you? Oh, you can pray for me. Or, hey, can you help me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. Cool. See you next week. We show up. We hold hands, although we fought all the way here. Then we get back in the car and fight all the way home. Maybe we fight all the way home because we didn't hold hands enough in church and we think people figured us out. This, this, is, this is life, and church has done a really bad job of, of, of pulling that mask off and pointing out to people that they need to be more and more aware. This is one of the things Jesus did so well. He asked hard questions in public and private situations. You just never knew with him. He was kind of scary that way, I'll be honest. He would just point it out like, oh, how you doing? Can you get me some water? Sure, you've been married six or seven times, haven't you? <laughs> it's just like, who does that? It's just, it's a strange, it's a strange place, but it's what forms relationship because people get frustrated. And the best part about frustrated people, which is why I warned you all ahead of time, is they can't help but be honest about the emotion they're feeling. That's my best thing about frustrated people because at least they're really feeling something. There's no mask. They're just frustrated. So guess what? If you're mad at God, you're in the right place. If you're mad because your spirituality hasn't developed, you're in the right place. If you're frustrated inside your story, inside your marriage, inside what's going on, feel that place. The worst people in this room right now, better word, the most unhealthy people in this room right now are the ones who are in bad situations and won't own it or claim it. That's rough. And those people are, that's that's difficult stuff. And that's why I said, 
this isn't going to be as gentle as other series because we've got to push those people's uh, smiles off their faces for a second. And we've got to have them sit with the truth that God loves them in spite of the thing they don't see that he already does. You're not surprising him. You've never surprised God in your whole life. You know that, right? Ever. Like, I can't believe I did this, Lord. He's like, you can't. You've never surprised him. He loves you as you are. And you're just not aware of it. It's a hard place to start, but it's where we're going to start. The hardest part of it actually has to do with the, uh, the underlying words here. This idea that you've got to come to a place that you have great need and that you recognize there is calling and purpose and you have, you're supposed. You're supposed to be somewhere. You're supposed to be someone. This idea right here of need is really important, especially for those of you on your way to salvation. No one I have ever brought to the Lord or have heard a story of them coming to the Lord didn't first recognize their great need for the Lord. You have to have great need to come to God. He is not another car in the garage. Okay, he is, he is, a, he is an umbrella in a storm. He is, a, he is warmth in the freezing. He is, he is the source of survival for, the, for this next place that you gotta go. But you first have to be there and recognize there's need and you have to recognize that he knows what he's doing and he has a place and a person you're supposed to be and become. Most of us, we put a word that instead of that and we say before you get where you desire to go instead of need, you have to realize you aren't where you want to be. It's much more about uh, your desire and about your want, and you just remove those other words altogether. Now, desire is important, and what you want is important, because how you feel is valuable. And so you recognize those things, and you hold them in both your hands, and then you recognize that life isn't just you holding your stuff in your hands. It's holding your stuff in your hands and holding the hand of somebody else, which means other people's desires and other people's wants are also important. This is a significant part of waking up, is recognizing that although your desires and wants are important, they are not the only important part of your journey. Anyone who got married, had a few kids, had a real job, help serve, would recognize right away one of the first things, most difficult things to overcome is the reality that someone else now gets to weigh in on everything. And I mean, I met with a young couple one time. They were only married about five, six months. And they said, we got a lot of tension in our marriage. We need to deal with it. And I said, all right, this is, this is good because you guys are getting it out there. The wife was quiet. The husband was not. And he said, this is the thing. And I'm not trying to be selfish, but uh, I don't like Mexican food. This is a long time ago, so they don't go to our church anymore. But I, just, I don't like Mexican food. I said, okay. And, and that's what she likes, like, all the time. That's what she likes is, is, is Mexican food. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. And she looked at him, right? And I said, what do you mean you're not going to do it? And, and he goes, I'm, I'm not going to go to Mexican food if I don't like it. She should respect that I don't like it. And I was like, oh, well, do you, do you ever compromise around the meal? And before he could answer, she said no. And we were off. So we gave lessons on the reality of selfishness and how, how when you become partners with someone, even when you, and I don't know how he was at work or how he was in other relationships, but if you can't even eat a burrito for the one you love, you got real life problems. That's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> somebody write that down because that was awesome. 
I mean, you do. You got real life problems if you're like, I am going to wreck tonight over Mexican food. Right? I just, it, this is a deep, deep selfishness. And the truth of it is that God has called us to be selfless. This is his description of love, is an awareness that we are all naturally selfish and it doesn't come easy, but that we have to be people who are selfless. This is what we have to wake up to, that this other part of us, Adam and Eve, the big thing with Adam and Eve is that they wanted what they wanted. They wanted it. They didn't have to have it. They didn't need it. They wanted it and they desired it. And so they took it. And so God said, okay, you know what God really did with Adam and Eve and the rest of the world? He said, you get what you want and desire, which is you in charge. And we spun the whole thing out of whack. What we need and where we're supposed to go, those things come from God, and it requires a great deal of selflessness. Jesus describes love, the greatest love is this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's like his that's like the epitome of what it means to love somebody. The epitome of loving someone is choosing that they get to exist over you. Now, this is important. I've said earlier, I'm not demeaning feelings. I'm not demeaning wants and desires. They're very important things, but they're not the only things. I am just as valuable a life as any other life in this room. But I got to tell you, push comes to shove. If, if I had to choose between me or my children, my wife, other people I love living, my hope is that I would choose them. And Jesus says this is the greatest kind of love, a selfless love. And we are not aware of this, and we miss this. And so we live our lives in bondage. We live in bondage to broken things. In opposition of selflessness, there's, of course, selfishness. The Bible has within it uh, something we have called seven deadly sins. We'll put them on the screen. They are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. These all have really one theme in common, and that's that they require a great deal of selfishness to be maintained. A great deal of selfishness has to go into deciding that you are the person who is most important at dinner time, and so we won't go to this type of food. A great deal of selfishness is involved in, in, in being someone who's envious and feels like they deserve more than other people. A great deal of selfishness is involved if you're wrathful because your rage and anger become the, the central emotion in the situation and everyone else's can be diminished until you have whatever righteous need met that you have. All of these things require selfishness and this is because selfishness is fuel for sin. If you in your life right now, and I don't even say you, if, I'm gonna say all of us in this room wrestle with one of those those seven things. And go back to that list for me real quick. I'm going to run on a tangent here. I don't know who this is for, but it's for all of you. So everybody in this room wrestles with these things, generally seasonally at different times, one more than the other. The hardest part about especially church and Christianity is no one ever really owns the one they're wrestling with. They're, they're never really, they own the, the light words like selfishness or I'm, I'm struggling or oh, I'm feeling kind of like I'm having I'm wrestling with my pride and like, like, like these kind of things. But no one really just says, no, here's the deal. I, am, I have a core issue right now. I am just always lusting. Yeah, even the room got quiet, right? It's, yeah, you're hoping I pick any of those but that. You're like, don't pick lust. Oh, he said it. Oh, and I brought my mom here today. I'm just, so always when I bring my mom. But the, 
The, the truth of it is, we never really own the, the, these core places that these things come from. And here's the thing about these and, and why they're so important to own and realize. And I'll put it up there. These behaviors, traditionally, this is hundreds of years old. These behaviors were originally classified under this category because not only were they, they true core sins that had great impact, but they were sins that gave birth to other immoralities. Saying it in another way, each of the deadly sins, when fully anchored in a life, are pregnant with destruction. We only deal with the symptoms, with the stuff they give birth to. We deal with like, yeah, my boss doesn't like me, and neither do seems everybody at work, but you know, screw them. And, and then, it's, and then it, it just trickles down to this attitude that the world's against you and, and, and all these other people and all this other stuff, or the same thing with, with lust, okay? Now... I've never done a series around pornography, and maybe we will eventually, but do you know the real issue with pornography is that it overflows people's eyes and minds with things that aren't real and makes things that aren't real le less than they're supposed to be. This is, this is the real core issue with that particular thing. Is it, is a, it is a lust issue, but it's also a pride issue that my needs are the needs that really need to be met. And in order to meet them, it needs to look like this stuff on the screen that doesn't really happen. This is what happens when you aren't aware of these movements in your life. You become someone who just responds. You're like a ball in one of those pinball machines, and you're just responding to every situation with more and more momentum until you get put down in that bottom. What is that zone called at the bottom? Gamers know. The black hole of do-over. <laughs> oh, that didn't work. So... Move on to the next illustration. But, you, but you, you have all this damage, right? This destruction. And eventually, you find yourself sidelined. And then you spin inside, and you don't know how to tell anybody that you're dealing with these things because there's not a safe place to actually say, I, I wrestle with lust. It consumes me. I wrestle with wrath. I'm so angry all the time. I can't even believe it. I wrestle with envy. I can't even look at people without wanting or, or being frustrated. I wrestle with this and this and this. Because once you're aware of that and you own that, and someone filled with the Holy Spirit can inspirationally speak into you that God's not surprised and there's hope, then suddenly you can find yourself in a place aware and willing and ready to move on to that next step that we'll talk about next week. It is only becoming aware of potential destruction that a person can hope to stop and begin to change directions. And some of you, you, you just haven't changed directions, and it's not because you haven't tried hard. I want to give you credit for that. You have worked your butt off to change this stuff, especially the stuff that was passed down from future generations. Oh, that's hard stuff. You've worked your butt off. You've read You've listened, you've tried, but you're not aware. And so you've done all the wrong things when the biggest thing you need to do is recognize that you have a need that only God can fill. Once you have that need, then there they will be a supposed to in your life. You're supposed to go talk to that person. You're supposed to meet here. You're supposed to take that class. You're supposed to go to church more than just the first three weeks of the new year. You're supposed to be a part of a place where you can be you and not thought less of because you're human. That's what community is supposed to feel like. But it takes awareness and it takes a willingness. The Bible often refers to this awareness as a kind of awakening. 
Sometimes it's awakening to some sort of danger. Proverbs 6, 9 says, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? When will you become aware? Isaiah 56, 10 says, his watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. The Bible wants you to wake up to these dangers, to these destructive things that are possible in your life. And he wants you to change directions through that waking up. Other times, other times it's not an awakening to avoid something, but an awakening to become something. Perhaps the most famous awakening I could think of is the one in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel was a little boy raised by a priest in the tabernacle. He actually found himself more often than not sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant, which was the most holy of holy items that's ever existed and that Indiana Jones looked for for so, so long. This is the place that he found himself. He was given to the tabernacle by his mother who said to God when she was barren, Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. And true to her word, at around three years old, she dedicated her child to the temple. She visited him often, but he was raised as a, as a little priest. It says that one day, the young man Samuel, this is Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 3.1. It says, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, the priest that, he was, uh, that was raising him. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down again. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. We've all been there, right? A bunch of parents in this room right now are like, Oh, I get that Eli place, right? Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak to the Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel lay down and went to his own place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. I love this story for all different kinds of reasons. I think because, first off, uh, these stories that we read in the Bible, they're not just stories to, to like tell us about things that are happening. They're also stories to tell us about how God works with people. And it's this really neat story of God getting ready to use this child that was dedicated him, to him to do amazing things, powerful things. And it's the story of God functioning, I think, how he still functions today, where he comes to the child and he says, hey, Samuel, Samuel, and the child runs to the wrong direction and says, here I am, here I am, and then he gets sent back to his original place, and then again, God comes back with patience and love and gentleness and says, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel runs off again in the wrong direction and says, here I am, here I am, and then eventually, finally, he gets good advice, he gets good, good wisdom, and that Eli says to Samuel, just say this, say, God, 
I am willing. I want to be your servant. I have need of you, okay? And all of a sudden, the Lord shows up again, and it says he comes and stands. It's a picture of God standing in his holy of holy with a child sitting below him. And he says, Samuel. Samuel looks up, (laughs) and it doesn't give us enough description because I preach that only. But it says that he has some kind of experience, and he tells him then who he's going to be and what he's going to become. And this experience with this man, with God, from this little boy changes him forever. He became, Samuel did, the man who anointed kings. See, some of you in this room, God has called you. He said, hey, Enter your name here. He says, hey. And then you've ran into a church community or to a pastor or into a book or a study, and you've said, here I am, here I am. And it really wasn't what God was calling you into. So you went back to how you were, and then God comes back again, and he says, hey. And you ran into the drink or into online or into being successful at work or or looking the right part or being smart enough, and, and yet it really wasn't the thing that God was trying to awaken you to and so you just kind of sat back where you were and then God shows up again and again and again and I guess my question is for all of us what would happen if we were to respond differently than that and eventually just do what Samuel did and say God I need you maybe this is the reason some of us in this room have not developed where we want to be and we're experiencing some of the things we're experiencing because God is trying to get us into a quiet enough space where it's just him and me in his throne room, which exists now, by the way, inside my heart. I get to be the temple of God. You get to be the temple of God. You get, to, you get to experience the Holy Spirit when you accept him. And maybe it's just us sitting with him and saying, you know what, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried all these things, and I just want to be where you are, God. And so, although it's scary because I've heard it before and I, I reached in the wrong direction, here I am, God. Here I am. I wonder what he would awaken you to see. This is the true power of an awakening. It's its ability to inspire a life into action to overcome something it couldn't before. I told you guys that I would share something uh, personal with you. Uh, It's a tiny bit awkward because, uh, because sometimes I feel like I don't really have to share some of this stuff, and so why should I? And other times, uh, it, it feels important. And so I'll share with you that uh, about a year ago, uh, I was having some medical issues. My wife and I uh, were kind of uh, trying to figure that out. And it come to find out that I was having pretty severe blood sugar spikes and that I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Uh, we were surprised, but we probably shouldn't have been because, uh, as I've shared before, I had childhood cancer that has had different complications throughout my life. And I'm part of a long-term life study. Uh, and in that life study, we get a newsletter and can read up and are part of it. Uh, we, when we were in our 30s, there was a note in the life study that said that people in their 40s that had this particular type of cancer, specifically because there was radiation near the pancreas, around in their 40s were coming down with type 2 diabetes. And so I was at the doctor, and he had the study, and we were all like, oh, yeah, this makes lots of sense. And I said, oh, okay, well, what should I do? Because I don't know how many people have wrestled with this. I know it's, a, it's more common than not, but sugar spikes uh, make me particularly emotional. 
Um, I get edgy, I get frustrated, that's one of the reasons we went in. And so he said, well, I can tell you right now, we can do this, we can do this, these are the treatments I want you to do, but at the end of the day, really the thing that's gonna help you the most is if you lose X amount of weight. Well, planning a church is not the most uh, friendly or easy thing to do. And so over the last 10 years at Kesson, I had gained some weight and I had not been able to lose it. And so when he said that, I basically laughed at him. I said, give me the meds because that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and, so, and so I just, I, and I yo-yoed back around all of 2019. And uh, eventually uh, I was sitting on my couch in August at the end of summer. And uh, I was watching a documentary, which is a thing I do now and then. And it was on dieting and the history of dieting, this documentary. And I was hoping I could find the next cure, the next thing for me. And uh, it got to this really sarcastic specialist that they interviewed at the end. And she said, look, you're going to hear lots of interviews from lots of people about lots of diets. And she said these words. I don't want to mess it up. She said, uh, she said uh, there really aren't any new diets. And there really haven't been for about the last hundred years. It's just the same stuff remarketed and repackaged for a new audience. And then she said this, the only diet that's ever going to work is the one you can stick to. And I sat on my couch and it, it, it just changed me. I went, so I can, because I'm a builder, right? I love building. I love what I get to do here. I went, so I can, I can build my own. I can build my own experience. And I took, I stepped back a week, just did this very privately with my wife, and I made a plan. And this is what I discovered. I found out that I have 30 minutes, five days a week, when I have to get up no matter what and take my daughter to uh, the, take her to school. It's 30 minutes when I get home between then and when my wife wakes up. I decided I was gonna walk because I hate running. And I'm gonna build my own plan, and I don't care, runners in the room, I'm not a runner, I don't like it. I'm only going to run if something's chasing me. Other than that, it's not going to happen. Okay, it's not going to happen. So I, I decided to walk. So I bought a super cheap uh, treadmill off of Craigslist, and I put it in my garage. I tried it for a week. I failed. I walked one time. Miserable. And what I failed at doing was I wasn't motivated to do it. And second, by the time I'd come home, my house was warm. I was like, oh, I'll just sleep for another half hour. I just wouldn't do it. But I, I remembered the only diet that ever works is the one you can stick to. So I said, okay, I got to do this. So I put up a little TV, a cheap TV in my garage. And I picked a show that uh, I could only watch on the treadmill. I couldn't watch it anywhere else. And it had to be a show I really wanted to watch. And so then I was duly motivated. I got to see what happens next in the show. And uh, I, wherever it was at the end of the 30 minutes, that's all I've ever done on the treadmill, I turn it off. No matter how great the show is, I don't work less, I don't work more. I work 30 minutes and I stop it. And the next day I'm like, I got to figure out what's going on in this show. I did it two times that following week. I discovered that when I came back through the warm house, every time I got defeated. So I found out if when I got out of bed to take my daughter to school, I put on my workout clothes, which made me angry every single morning and still does. Every morning, right, put on all my workout clothes and that if I went from my car straight into the garage and didn't experience the warmth of the house and watched the show and had the treadmill, that I was able to do five times a week. So I did it five times a week, okay? And really didn't lose much, but I was walking and I was feeling better. That caused me to make some changes in my diet. I made some changes in my diet and starting September 1st with my 15-year-old daughter who decided to walk with me after school, uh, I, since September, 
to now have only missed, I think, five different days between Christmas and my father dying and some few other things. And I've been able to stick to it, lose a little bit of weight, and drastically increase my numbers. I'm telling you this because if we get one more phone call about asking if Danny's sick <laughs> or if something's wrong or if he, I don't know, I don't know what you thought was happening, but, but I tell you this because first I want you to know what's going on and second, I want you to know that it wasn't prayer that, that finally allowed me to overcome some of this. It wasn't the love of my wife as much as She's incredible, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the encouragement of my elders. They knew I was trying. It wasn't my own discipline and will. It wasn't any of those things. It was inspiration that clicked in my heart when someone gave me permission to do it how it was best for me. This is the power of inspiration. You're not gonna find a program that's gonna fix it. You've got to be willing to first off sit in a place like I had to with a doctor who said something is destructive in your life and you've gotta make changes. That was my awakening. But the change happened when I was able to hear something that clicked for me. And I'll put it on the screen. It was the combination of awakening to the difficult truth that something destructive had entered my life and then feeling inspired enough to do something about it. Every person in this room has been called to an inspirational awakening to see that something emotionally, spiritually, physically is, is destroying us, our, voca- our vocations, our relationships, our spirituality, to hear God's inspirational call into more of him and so respond like Samuel did, here I am. Here I am. So I'm here to speak over you today this reality you and I have stuff that needs to change. You know what it is. You know deep in your heart what it is. And the only way I know to overcome those impossible challenges is to hear from God and be awakened to the truth of his love for us just as we are, just as we are, and yet know that he has so much before us. Church, this is a powerful part of our story, and this is going to change us. It's going to change the community we get to move into. It's going to change our marriages. It's going to change our children who are waiting to receive inspired parents. Do you not know how badly your children need to be inspired? Need to be awakened to their potential, to what they are, but they will not find it in you if you don't find it in Him. You can overcome it because of He who brings strength inside of you. So this is why I want to close the service. With that spoken over you, I'm going to have the worship team come out in just a moment, and then we're going to sing a song. And here's what I'd like to do. Whether it's big or little, whether it's, it's nuanced or acute, whatever it is in your life that you feel like you need God to awaken, I want you sometime during the song, if it's real, don't do it to be churchy, and don't do it for points because you don't get any today. I've removed the system. But if you feel like God is asking you to present yourself before him and say, here I am, then whenever you're ready during the song, I want you to stand. I know for some it's, it's scary. For some it's, it's too much. But I'm going to give you space in just a moment to just hear from him and to make decisions right where you are right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time for this, this uh, 
this, these few moments of reflection. We thank you, God, that there are lives in here that, that are going to change today, that things are going to be different today. Not because they're strong enough, not because they're good enough or, or willing, but because, God, you, because of you. Lord, all we have to do is respond that we are present. And so here I am, Lord. Take the things in my life that you want, transform them, renew them, tear them down, build them up. I want to be what you've asked me to be. I want to be part of a community that is willing to take the masks off, to be vulnerable and to stand before their God and say, here we are. We love you. We just rest in this moment now. In Jesus' name, amen.